Today we continue our series in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Despite opposition and imprisonment, this letter is overflowing with joy. And so we're asking the question, from where does Paul derive this joy? How is it that Paul can continue rejoicing even in the midst of pain and suffering? Last week we saw that Paul was quick to see his problems as opportunities. And he was able to do this because he was single-minded for the glory of Christ and for the advancement of the gospel. Because Paul was single-minded for Christ, every scenario was a win-win scenario. And so he was able to rejoice in the midst of hardship. In our passage today, Paul turns his attention to the Philippians. He wants their manner of living to be worthy of the gospel. He wants them to live like Christian citizens. Not to settle for being good Roman citizens, but to live like citizens of heaven. And at the top of Paul's list is unity. The sort of unity that is only possible through humility and selflessness. In a sense, Paul's entire letter is about this conflict between two different types of citizenship. Roman citizenship and heavenly citizenship. In verse 27, when he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, that phrase, manner of life, comes from a Greek word having polis at the root. So the word, the word has political implications. Paul is talking about their public life. He is talking about the character of their citizenship. Now, two weeks ago, I mentioned that the city of Philippi was a Roman colony, largely populated by decorated war veterans. And so this was a thoroughly Roman city, and it was populated by citizens who were deeply loyal to the Roman Caesar. Caesar was honored by loyal Romans in a way that approached deification. They treated him like a god. Every public event in Philippi would have been held in the name of Caesar. And sometimes they even referred to Caesar as Lord and Savior. And so here comes the Apostle Paul to stir the pot a bit. By the end of chapter 1, Paul has already mentioned the name of Christ 18 times. And he's doing this intentionally in order to set up a contrast between Christ and Caesar. In our passage today, he's going to say that Christ is Lord. And and the phrase Christ is Lord doesn't sound all that controversial to us. But for the Romans, for loyal Romans, this was sacrilege. Paul says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yes, every knee. And every tongue, even Caesar's knee, even Caesar's tongue. Or in other words, Caesar has a Caesar. There is a Lord even higher than the Roman Lord. And there is a citizenship even higher than Roman citizenship. The gospel implicitly means that Caesar is getting a demotion. It also means that the Roman Empire is being made subject to the kingdom of Christ. And Paul does not shy away from this conflict. When Paul refers to the gospel, this is part of what he means. 
Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So remember, Philippi was largely populated by decorated war veterans. And so it's reasonable to expect that many of the Christians in Philippi would have come from military families. Paul would have known this, of course, and I think, I think that helps to explain his word choice in verse 28. Paul calls the Philippians to stand firm and to strive side by side. I think this is a pretty clear reference to the Roman testudo. Perhaps you've heard of the Greek phalanx. Well, the Roman testudo was a very similar military formation. Um, I put a picture of it in your bulletin, actually. Testudo means tortoise. And if you look at the picture, you can see why they called it that. The soldiers in a testudo had to stand firm and strive side by side. So Paul is using a familiar image to communicate what is necessary if the Philippian church is going to overcome the opposition they are facing. If the Philippians stick together, if they stay unified, if they keep striving side by side, they will have nothing to fear. And their opponents, in contrast, will have every reason to fear. But if the Philippians are preoccupied with internal conflict, if the soldiers within the testudo cannot get along, if they're stabbing each other in the back, if they're only looking out for their own interests, the entire formation is going to fall apart. So, chapter 2, verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So unity is a powerful thing. In uh, Genesis chapter 11, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. The whole earth has one language and one confession, and they begin to work together to build a tower. And when God looked down upon the project, he said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Nothing will be impossible for them, or nothing will be withheld from them. Why? Because they are unified. And so from the mouth of God, we we learn the power of unity. When human beings are unified, nothing is impossible. Nothing is withheld. And so Paul commends love and encouragement and participation. He calls the Philippians to be of one mind, 
and of full accord with one another, to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but always acting in a manner that takes into consideration the needs of others. We need to understand that, that although these values may sound good to us, obviously this is how you build a healthy community, right? Although that sounds good to us, for ancient Romans, these, these were not values at all. In Roman society, to be called humble was usually an insult. The humble were poor, low status, and socially weak. In a, in a society that prized honor above everything else, it was shameful to be humble. And of course, this made the gospel all the more ridiculous. Paul is not only claiming that Caesar has been demoted... Paul is claiming that Caesar has been demoted by a so-called Lord who was so humble that he was willing to die upon a cross. That's shame upon shame upon shame. But again, Paul does not shy away from that message. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. Have this humble and selfless mind which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The the Greek word for grasp here refers to robbery. It refers to, to taking something that doesn't belong to you. So Paul is saying that Christ did not take what was not his to take. And this is in contrast, of course, to Adam, who did count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Adam took something that didn't belong to him because he wanted to achieve equality with God. So, Christ Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And at this point, any, any self-respecting Roman citizen is thinking, no way. That's ridiculous. Self-emptying humility is not how one becomes a king. Self-emptying humility is not the path to exaltation. But Paul continues, Therefore, because Jesus was humble and selfless, God has highly exalted And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, even the name of Caesar. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, even the knee of Caesar, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, even the tongue of Caesar, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. To be a Christian is to live according to the belief that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Caesar to whom all Caesars will one day bend the knee. And this means that to be a Christian is to often be out of step with the values and ethics of the world. If we are loyal to Christ, we will eventually have to break from the values and ethics of the world around us, and we will often be opposed for doing so. In a city that honored Caesar... As Lord and Savior, the Philippian Christians honored Christ as Lord and Savior. 
and they were paying the price socially for doing so. And in 2022, there, there are still plenty of ways for us to get ourselves into trouble. Try telling a conservative that neglecting the poor is grounds for divine judgment or that Jesus will one day come and confiscate all of our guns. Try telling a progressive that human beings will have to give an account for what they do with their bodies or that feminism has had a few negative consequences. If we are loyal to Christ, we will eventually have to break from the values and ethics of the world around us, and we will often be opposed for doing so. But again, unity is the key to overcoming opposition. And humility is the key to unity. And Jesus is the perfect example of humility. So if the Christians in Philippi are going to overcome opposition, it will be because they live in a manner worthy of the gospel. It will be because they live like citizens of heaven. They maintain the unity of the testudo. And they will maintain the unity of the testudo only if they walk in the way of their exalted Lord, the way of humility and selflessness and self-emptying. Paul is saying, remember who it is that you follow. Christ willingly emptied himself of glory. He willingly emptied himself of certain powers and privileges for the sake of others. He was humble and obedient to the point of death, and, and that is how he overcame. So if you're going to overcome, you're going to have to assume the same mind. You're going to have to do likewise. Now, to to close, I want to point out that Paul was writing this letter to a relatively healthy church. This wasn't Corinth. The Philippian fellowship was marked by many of the traits listed by Paul. There was love and encouragement and participation and unity and selflessness. But even so, Seeds of dissension and disunity had been sown. The potential for division was there under the surface. And so Paul was writing to encourage the Philippians not to allow that disunity to grow and bear its poisonous fruit. And to be honest, I I think our church is in a similar spot. Within our fellowship, there is love and encouragement and participation and unity and selflessness. But there, under the surface, there there are always the seeds of dissension and disunity. And we have to be aware of that. We are called to count others more significant than ourselves. But it's all too easy to, to count ourselves as more significant than others. We are called to consider the interests of others. But it's all too easy to become preoccupied with our own interests. When you arrive here on a a Sunday morning, are you expecting to be loved and served by other people, or are you looking for opportunities to love and serve people? When you think about your neighborhood parish, whose interests come first? Is it first and foremost about what you think or feel or what you want or need? Or is it also about what others think and feel and want and need? 
Hear the words of Christ. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Last of all and servant of all does not mean whenever I feel like it. Last of all and servant of all does not mean when it's convenient for me. Last of all and servant of all does not mean, yeah, sure, when everyone else holds up their end of the bargain. If that's how we think, our testudo is going to fall apart. Last of all and servant of all means that in everything, we are humble and selfless and oriented toward the needs of others. We follow a Lord who emptied himself. And to live in a manner worthy of that gospel is to be humble and selfless and oriented toward the needs of others. That, that humble and selfless posture is what breeds unity. That humble and selfless posture is what forms and maintains the sort of Christian testudo that can overcome whatever opposition comes our way. And so to the Christians in Philippi and to the Christians in Houston, Paul says, provided you live like citizens of heaven, provided you stay humble, provided you stay unified, the opposition you face is just a precursor to exaltation. You will be victorious. So stay humble, stand firm, and strive side by side, he says. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are the eternally self-giving one. We praise you for being a loving and merciful and self-giving God. Uh, we, we praise you for being a God worthy not just of our fear, but also of our love. Jesus, you emptied yourself for our sake, and, and we ask that you would teach us to follow in your footsteps. Teach us to live in a manner worthy of that gospel message. Holy Spirit, equip us and unify us for whatever comes our way and fill us with the power of self-giving love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.